Hello, Lewis. Hello, Dan. How are you? Good, good. You're still at work while we record this podcast. I, I am. It's been a very uh, a long day um, in the content mines, <laughs> and I'm um, still hoping to find some gold before I go home. I love that um, your lounge room has better sound quality than the ABC radio studios. <laughs> Well, I'm unfortunately I'm doing my best not to use any ABC equipment because that's how you got fired from one of your jobs. So I'm, I'm hoping not to pull a Dan and, and lose the job that I really love. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. I don't think the Emir of Qatar can fire you. <laughs> uh, yes, if anyone missed that joke, Dan uh, had a great job at Al, uh, Al Jazeera <laughs> and then a Hail Mary play to get a job on The Daily Show, used their equipment and got fired, which, yep. uh, while embarrassing for him, is great news for rational fear because otherwise we wouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> uh, very good. Speaking of reasons we can do this, thank you to our $10 Patreon subscribers this month. We had a big uh, week this week because of our Ben Rhodes podcast. Adrian Brock, Kerry Henry, Rochelle, Peter McNeil, Tanya Hart, Science Communicated, upgraded her support from $3 to $10. And Lewis, our showbiz dad, Andrew Denton, is paying the equivalent of two Netflix accounts <laughs> <laughs> to support us a month. Papa, can you pay me? <laughs> it's just like our real dad supporting our <laughs> m- meaningless hobbies. He turns I know, in- honestly, hasn't Andrew supported us enough? I know, I know. He gave us our first job. <laughs> That's right. He gave us our first big gigs. He turned 60 this week. So happy birthday to you, Andrew Denton. Uh, we've asked him a few times to do the show, but uh, he's very choosy with the kind of projects he does. <laughs> He's smart. He's got taste. <laughs> uh, you, why I'm recording my end of this on the land of the Gadigal in the Yoruba Nation, sovereignty was never ceded. Let's start the show. A rational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, Fair Dickum, and Section 44. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, the National Cabinet recommends the easing of travel restrictions between New Zealand and Australia, which could lead the way to the easing of travel restrictions to other similar like-minded countries who also like to have sex with sheep. And Gold Coast Titans back rower Bryce Cartwright is refusing to get vaccinated with the latest flu shot before returning to the game. Team doctors say he's got nothing to lose. He already plays for the Gold Coast Titans. And Gladys Berejiklian rejects easing of restrictions as a Mother's Day gift. She recommends instead a steaming cup of harden the fuck up. This is a rational fear. A rational fear! Hi, I'm Dan Illich. Let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. She's a writer and a stand-up comedian and has been nominated for Best Actress at the Tasmanian Theatre Awards every year since their inception. But the bio I stole this from is from 2018, so who knows, that could have changed. It's Anna Kidd. Hello, hello, good evening. Is that true, Anna? Uh, yeah, it was true until the last year, so uh, I need to update no, if, that. If yeah. only who, <laughs> who, who got nominated ahead of you? We'll, we'll, we'll uh, undo them. Who cares? Who cares? Who yeah, that is the right, yeah. Anna. That's the right yeah. way to deal with that. Yep. <laughs> this podcast got, um, got beaten in the uh, Best Comedy Awards by Tony Martin, the other person who might be my father, and, um, and we haven't forgotten him either. Yeah. And also stepping in for Anthony Morgan, whose internet went bung and can't do the show, is Yanni Agislo. Hello. Welcome, Yanni. Uh, I'd just uh, like to point out I actually won um, 
that that award last year. So. <laughs> you, you, you were the best actress from Tasmania. <laughs> well done. So Dan, oh, well, tell us about this Tasmanian special. What, what brought that upon you? Why, why, why the love for Tasmania suddenly? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because one of our supporters gave us a hundred bucks and asked us to please book more Tasmanians. So I've booked. But- I booked as many Tasmanians as I could, except one uh, lives in an area with very spotty internet, so we can't do it. Later on in the podcast, we'll be talking about leadership when you're not in power and how to get big money out of politics with senior advisor to Jackie Lambie, Anna Bateman. And also, Yanni, you're going to be doing stand-up. I am. But first, we should hear from this week's sponsor. Australia. Life is tough right now. We're all in the same boat. Some of us are in first class, most of us are below deck. But there's one ship we're all aboard and that's mateship. It's that special quality that makes Australia, Australia. In some countries they call it being a good person, but that's very long to say and a bit preachy. In other countries they call it friendship, but that sounds airy-fairy and let's face it, too feminine, ugh, feelings. But mateship is like all of these, but it's blokey and nationalistic. It's like being a good person, but with the Southern Cross tattooed on your heart. It's friendship with a cold stubby and wedge of freshly sliced xenophobia jammed in the neck. And isn't that what Australia is all about? During these tough times, do what the diggers would have done if they could have and stay at home for your mates. Because when no other incentive works, rallying around the geographic location of where people live is the last choice. Mateship. It's Australian fur... Love. Oh, God, do I have to say that? It's good to uh, be sponsored by Mateship. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't pay well, but uh, good in spirit. Our first fear for tonight. Now, you may remember this story last month. The CMO, the Chief Medical Officer of Australia, blamed a cluster of coronavirus cases in Tasmania on a so-called illegal dinner party. Anna, you must remember this story as our only Tasmanian on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was quite um, uh, quite an ordeal when it happened. Um, uh, no one's ever really felt so guilty about having a dinner party before. Peter Gutman's been very good about it all. He he keeps saying in press conferences, um, you know, we're not laying any, any blame on anyone. It's no one's fault. Um, just desperate because he thinks that these poor people who had this dinner party are going to get decked or, you know, it hits out on them. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been a bit of a drama, but I believe that it has uh, come about that there has been no dinner party. That was It was a false rumour. <laughs> Fake news, no dinner party. This week, the CMO apologised for saying that. Now, here's the thing. He didn't he didn't allege this in any ordinary, like, space. He, he alleged that there was a dinner party during a New Zealand parliamentary inquiry and his exact words were most of them went to an illegal dinner party of medical workers we think we think and i think it's the we think part of that from the chief medical officer that really instills confidence in our the people leading our country need chemotherapy as you have cancer we think we think (laughs) it's also like from a tourism point of view if you take um delicious food out of tasmania like it's like we, the only worst place it could have been from a tourism point of view is if there was a cluster at Mona. <laughs> this is such a weird story because, you know, police were taken out off the beat in north in northwestern Tasmania. I assume their normal beat is scraping wombats off the road uh, <laughs> to check on these workers and they had to go through a trace 
and and investigation, they found there actually was no dinner party at all, and this lasted for three weeks. I love the idea that like parents now who have like teenagers who are like, you don't know what it's like because you were never young and you were never cool, and they're like, listen, okay, I think you're old enough now to tell you. Back in my day, I went to a lot of illegal warehouse parties and raves. Right <laughs> now, in about like twenty years' time, there's going to be like people kind of going, well, I don't know if you know, but Grandpa went to some illegal dinner parties back in 2020. <laughs> we, we, we ate whale. And Tasmanian tiger. And when that. they were investigated, they found no evidence of a party. <laughs> That's like a real Tasmanian burn. We found no evidence of fun. <laughs> Anna, that is, this has gone from being a, uh, a Tasmanian centric podcast to a Tasmanian yeah. bashing podcast. I'm so sorry. About this, about this. <laughs> Anna, can you tell us, like, wh- what what is the deal with northwestern Tasmania and why is that a hotbed for corona? I, I don't like to cast any sort of um, cloak of I don't, I don't, shade on any part of Tasmania. We're all from Tasmania. I don't want to say that Hobart's better than any other bit, but... You you just did a classic shock jock mm. own but disown. I'm, just I'm not going to say that Hobart's the best. <laughs> I'm, I'm exactly. just asking questions here. I just feel um, that, you know, uh, people seem to think it was something to do with the beer rivalry. So Hobart has uh, Cascade, the, the North has Bogues, and so the Northwest wanted Corona. <laughs> During this crisis, we've had politicians going to their holiday houses that are 150 kilometres away from their main residence. We have prime ministers holidaying in tiki bars during catastrophic natural disasters. We have emergency services ministers holidaying in Paris during a time when there is immense need for emergency services. Fearmongers, let me ask you this. How possibly can we keep our elected officials accountable during this time to do the right thing? Yanni? Well, I mean... You know, when the Greens passed that anti-corruption legislation, that would have been a good thing to start with. But um, if 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 not that, maybe like I think maybe the only thing to do is just kind of try and reassert the dominance of facts because like at the moment <laughs> I feel like nothing is true and that's the way everyone wriggles out of everything at the moment. I mean, like, yeah. I, I remember a time when things were things. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's my suggestion. I feel like um, the uh, – and I'd love to see how this went down – a ban on parliamentary second homes. Because I feel like, <laughs> particularly in New South Wales, all of the people who have got in trouble, the arts minister who's had to resign and now um, Barilaro, right. deputy yeah. prime minister, they, their excuse was, well, I was going to my second home. And for someone who barely has a first home, and it, 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 there's nothing more frustrating. And then I don't know if you guys took the time to have a sticky beak at Barilaro's second home. Uh, it's a 233-acre estate. With a boathouse on it, which means his second home contains a third home. <laughs> and in that home, he's probably got a boat, which he could also probably sleep on. It's like a... It's a fourth home. It's a fourth home. It's, it's, a, it's a Russian doll of homes. <laughs> now, Tasmania's doing pretty well when it comes to coronavirus. Four days this week, there haven't been any... Uh, any new cases, which is pretty great. So there's a bit of talk at the moment. The Tasmanian Premier is talking about direct flights to New Zealand from Tasmania. Anna, would this be a good arrangement for Tasmanians? Would Tasmanians be open to this arrangement? Well, for a start, um, very embarrassingly for the last however many years, the Ho- if you come to Hobart on an aeroplane, it does actually say the Hobart International Airport, <laughs> which has been very embarrassing for a long time because, of course, it hasn't been. Um, that's been the butt of many jokes. So, I mean, we wouldn't have to change the sign. That would be great. Uh, more than happy to have, um, 
you know, a, a relationship with New Zealand where people can, can just come and go and the Hobart airport can stay the same. Anna, do Tasmanians see New Zealanders as a threat? Because to, like, mainlanders, I think a lot of us see the perks of New Zealand and the perks of Tasmania, you know, green, hilly, delicious food, not many people, hobbits. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities. Do you see them as competitors? No, not at all. In fact, there was um, a petition sent around recently where um, uh, people from Tasmania signed to actually leave Australia and join New Zealand mm. and be kind of like the, the South Island of the South Island. But we have a lot of similarities anyway. The, the, um, the, uh, the, the countryside is very similar. Uh, all the possums in New Zealand are actually the fault of Tasmania. Um, oh. One mm. came from Tasmania and <laughs> went over there and started breeding. That's um, an exciting fact. You're welcome. But, yes, I think they're quite similar. I think we'd have a great relationship with each mm. other. And I don't think Australia needs to be involved. I think it can just be a very personal <laughs> thing between New Zealand and Tasmania. Well, it's not just people who are feeling the ISO blues. There's a pet pig owned by a Tassie cookbook author called Sally Wise who is feeling a bit down. Uh, Anna? Can you tell us a little bit about this pig? I certainly can. Um, when I looked for news stories from Tasmania for the week, so many of them are novelty news stories and so many of them are animal-related, and I don't really know what that says about um, our news, but I'm, I'm willing to go with it. So uh, Sally Weiss, who is a cookbook author from, from Tasmania, she has a pet pig. And she noticed uh, after everyone started to have to uh, isolate that the pig, it was down. She could read the emotions of the pig and the pig wasn't happy. She thought that perhaps because the pig is used to so many visitors, um, the pig has its own diary um, schedule. It's got its own Zoom meetings now, I assume, uh, that it has people <laughs> constantly talking to the pig. So she thought that the pig might be depressed because it wasn't getting enough human interaction or enough attention. Um, so they decided that the way to fix this, um, I'm assuming they tried some things beforehand, but what they settled on that makes the pig much happier is uh, it lies down on its side uh, in the mud and they read it Dr. Seuss. Oh, Dr. Seuss. I love the yes. idea of I love the idea of reading like Dr. Seuss books to a pig. You got to pick the right ones though. You can be, like, right. be like, "What oh, do you want to read? Green eggs?" Oh. Uh, uh, they very specifically McNuggets? said no green eggs and ham is being read. <laughs> Apparently the pig enjoys hop on pop. It sort of uh, doesn't surprise me that a, a time like this, a global pandemic, would be triggering for a pig. It's probably just sitting at home remembering swine flu and expecting some sort of backlash. <laughs> You're listening to Irrational Fear. Still to come on Irrational Fear, Yanni Agislo is going to do five minutes of stand-up from his Cancel Melbourne Comedy Festival show. But next we've got a special guest. She's a senior advisor to one of the most outspoken and visible independent senators in Parliament. And as is the makeup of the Senate, she can help change and shape the national conversation without necessarily being in government. She was also at one point the boss of Lewis and I on the TV show Can of Worms. Have your can openers ready. It's Anna Bateman. Hey! hey. Hello. Hello. Uh, now, just for the sake of uh, simplicity here, we also have Anna Kidd on with us. Uh, so, Anna Bateman, you will be now be known as Bateman. <laughs> Fair enough. That's what you've always called me anyway. <laughs> Anna Bateman, tell us, you, you were a TV producer a few years ago. Now you're a media advisor to one of the most uh, iconic senators in the Australian Parliament. How did you get to where you are now? 
So, uh, yeah, I, so I started, I interned at 60 Minutes when I was like three days after I left school and then I was in television until about, oh, God, what was it, 2015, something like that. Um, and I looked for a while, to be honest, I'd wanted to get out of television. Well, you know, everybody's smashing their TV, so no one actually watches television anymore. It's a dead industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, that's right. But I was just getting really... Honestly, I was getting really sick of sitting in rooms, often um, with white men who were younger than me, who had less experience than me. And by the way, I'm not including Lewis. Hello. Not including, you know, no, 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 but it was just like I had to like, you have to like, because, because the pressure on the television industry is so extraordinary. So it's like everybody's like, we've got to have more eyeballs. We've got to have, it's got to be more extreme. It's got to be more this. It's got to be more that. Oh, but do you mind if we don't pay anyone? And is it okay if we only employ the writers for a couple of weeks? Because we don't really need writers, do we? Oh, no. No. So, like, I got to the stage where it didn't even make me that enraged anymore. I was just fucking bored with it. So, tell me, like, I mean, how did you end up working with Jackie Lambie? Like, what was that process? So, I was working at the Australia Institute in Tassie. Um, I'd met her at that dreadful taste of Tassie, which I'm sure Anna and Yanni might even have been to. Um, and we got on well. I went and did go back to where we, you know, Jackie actually thinks a lot about economics. So she works with the Australian Institute a lot and, and with other, other ones as well, like Grattan. We were sort of chatting and stuff. And when I went to do go back to where you came from live, uh she they sort of said oh we're i said are you doing celebrities and you know that horrible term ordinary people hate that fucking term and they said oh we're not really sure and are you thinking of everybody and i said how about jackie lamb and she'd been out of politics they were like oh yeah oh that's interesting oh maybe well, do, you, do you reckon she'd go to syria and i went yeah i reckon <laughs> so i rang her up and i went hey jack she goes hey Dolph, how are you i said i'm good uh, so do you want to go on, you know, that go back to where you come, came, come from show about refugees? She said, yep. I said, would you be interested in going, but you might have to go to like a war zone. Like they're thinking about like sending you something like Syria. And she went, yeah. <laughs> and I said, so, so is that a yes? She goes, yeah, great. When, when, when do we start? When do we do it? Wow. So that was my first ex- – and she really – because she was actually devastated that she didn't get to serve. She was in the Army for nine years. Mm. And the day that she was going to ship out to Timor, they put a flak jacket on her and the years of strain on her back, she just collapsed. So she'd never seen mm. service. She'd never been to a war zone. So right. she actually was incredible. And, like, you, you on shows like this, the psychiatrist comes in and, you know, assesses people for their – you know, mental strength when they're in, you know, under fair amounts of pressure. And so we were talking with a psychologist and she was saying, you know, well, so-and-so's got this issue going on and -and so-and-so's got that issue going on and talked about everybody and the room went quiet and I went, what about Jackie? And I went, she went, oh, no, Jackie's fine. You can send Jackie (laughs) anywhere. (laughs) So she, she has this extraordinary strength about her. So what is it about Jackie Lambie that made you go, yeah, I'm going to work with Jackie Lambie? I like that she cares about people that have no power. She will take any opinion, in, you know, she will take any opinion in the room. 
um, and then she'll make up her own mind. I think she's very bright. She's very bright. She's very instinctive. Are you aware on a daily basis of the kind of power that you have being uh, with an independent senator like her uh, about trying to shape conversation around issues in Australia? Like does that weigh on you at all when you're when you're talking through issues? No, because it's not my power. It's Jackie's power. Um, and all I can do is I can advise but I, don't, I can't direct and I wouldn't. Uh, she's been very smart this time around and that she's chosen, I suppose I would say that because she chose me, but <laughs> she's um, a lot of the wonderful women who supported her in her first term and the electoral office back, but a lot of the new team she's picked herself. Um, I'm actually not her senior advisor. Her senior advisor is like a cross between Josh and Sam from the West Wing. <laughs> He's like this just <laughs> crazy, smart, mid-30s. Um, yeah, he's and um, our, our legislator is like 28 and she went to Grattan and she's an economics major. And so she surrounds herself with really smart people. Um, we all give her our opinions, Dan. We have really free and frank exchanges of views. Um, I get worried about everything that's going on with Australia and that, and I think I'm like every... I think I'm like a lot of Australians in that. When you're kind of uh, when you know that Jackie's vote on uh, a bit of legislation is going to matter, what are those conversations like in your team of advisors? How do you fight for what you think is right within within that small group? We say what we think and we uh, put our arguments, and ultimately Jack makes the decision as to you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of talking, and you know it's funny I. There's a because I've worked on sort of the other side of it for so long. Like I, I do often want to say to a lot of advocates, you know, the and it's weird because I've sort of worked on some of those campaigns. You know, when they're like making the same calls and they're sending out those bulk emails and all of it, and everybody's calling our office. It doesn't help. It really doesn't. It really doesn't help. It actually. Really, you, are you saying you saying like those campaign emails from GetUp and other organisations <laughs> that are sending and let's say call call your minister now or email your minister now? This email is going to change X on this issue. That that is meaningless. It's meaningless for us, yeah, because our power is Jackie's power is that she has to review bills. She's in the Senate. It doesn't. It doesn't change her view. It doesn't change. She talks to everybody. Mm. One of the things that you mention uh, to me is that you are really passionate about trying to find ways to get big money out of politics. How do you do that? It seems like it's completely entrenched at this point. When we're looking around at the way our country is run right now, we seem like we are completely beholden by fossil fuel companies and, and big mineral interests. Um, how do we? How how do you get big money out of politics? Um, well, they could do worse than pass Jackie's donation bill, which is going to coming up for a second reading in June. Basically, her proposal, and I'd encourage all the political nerds who might be listening to go and read it, it basically puts it all in a portal and says, okay, if you want to give money to politicians, okay, that's you, Danielle, giving the money. We're going to see exactly what you're giving that money for and we're going to be able to track it and if it's, mm. and lowering the limit as well so that you have to declare it. Tasmania's electoral laws are, the donation laws are insane because they're just like the feds. So... Tasmanian businesses can give all, you know, can give just under $14,000 as many times as they like 
don't know who's paying for it. So Tasmanian businesses can give uh, $13,999 donations as many times as they want without having to put it on the public record. Correct. Wow. Oof. That's the Jesus. same as the fairs. I am, well, my PayPal is dan at danillich.com. That's the way, I mean, I don't think it is that, I mean, yes, of course, it's a huge problem. It's an even bigger problem in America. But fucking America, you find out donations in 24 hours. We don't right. find out till 18 months later. Anna Kidd, as someone who is a Tasmanian on the panel tonight, mm-hmm. uh, what's your impression of Lambie and how she's helped Tasmanians? Um, I actually really respect Jackie Lambie. I think I like any woman that's kind of their own woman and is loud and proud about it. So I I quite like those parts of Jackie Lambie for sure. I have to admit that most of my experience with Jackie Lambie has mostly been going to see the uni review and seeing (laughs) the parody of Jackie Lambie, um, which has always been fun. Well, Anna Bateman, thank you so much for joining us on Irrational Fear. Thank you. Irrational Fear! What's the difference between a journalist and a shopping trolley? Apparently a shopping trolley has a mind of its own. Especially if you're a shopping trolley from Tasmania. Your fear is rational. Well, all throughout the last couple of months, we've had guests on Irrational Fear come on stage and do five (coughs) minutes of their cancelled Melbourne Comedy Festival show, and we are very lucky to be joined by Yanni Gisolo, who is going to be doing some of his Melbourne Comedy Festival show. Australia says welcome, conditions apply. Yanni Gisolo! Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks to everyone else as well. Um, so uh, I want to just uh, tell you guys a story about an email. Uh, about uh, three or four months ago, I got an email from a guy called Bruce, and it started, G'day, Yanni. Mate, I just watched you on ABC Comedy's Next Gen Show. So I should explain. Last year, I was on uh, ABC Comedy's Next Gen Show, which if you don't know, <laughs> that, was a, that was a show to find the uh, next generation of up-and-coming Australian comedy talent. <laughs> not the only time I've been on TV in Australia. No, not the only time. The first was in 2001 when I, wanna, when I was on a show called Raw Comedy. Now, if you don't comedy, that's a show to discover the next generation of Australian comedy talent. 2001 and 2019. That is a fairly long time to be up and trying to come. I've been up and trying to come for longer than a man on MDMA. Anyone who laughs at that has broken the law. But anyway, if you get a chance, watch my ABC special. It's called Pockets of Equality. It's good. I mean, of course, it's really good. You know what really elevates new comedians? Years of experience. (laughs) So he went on. He said, you are incredible, matey. Absolutely hilarious. I'm 60, and I thought that explains the double spacing after the sentences. (laughs) And I thought I'd seen a lot. You are the best comedian I've ever seen. (gasps) Bruce, stop it. And then he finished. One more thing. You sound very Aussie. May I ask if you actually are? It's just your name doesn't sound very Australian. Not that it matters, of course. I'll tell you after the start of that email, I didn't expect it to end that way. I I didn't understand it. Like, this guy lives in Australia 
in 2019. Like, unless he's been in a coma, he's surrounded by Papadopoulos's and Vidic's and Quan's. And then I thought, maybe he has Poma. Maybe that's why he thinks my comedy is so fresh. <laughs> and I'd understand it if he just saw my name. But he didn't. He'd watched me speak for an hour. And it's weird this happens sometimes. And I think one of the reasons is... It's my name, right? It's my name. And that's sometimes why I don't feel 100% Australian. Yanni Agisolo. Because names are like belly buttons, aren't they? Yeah. Everyone's got one. They're a direct link to your parents. And if you've got a weird one, <laughs> you spend your whole life explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is what I like to call an outie. Hmm? <laughs> it's not all bad having a weird name, okay? Like Sometimes it saves time. Like, for example, when I call Telstra, spelling my name <clears throat> is the security question. <laughs> but sometimes people presume things about me because of my name, okay? So, uh, when I was at university, I was at my girlfriend's parents' house and uh, her parents were there and we were there and her uncle was there. And we'd spent like a half a day with all of us, so it's not like they just met me. And at dinner, her, right, he was talking about the Australian cricket team. Early 2000s, we had a great cricket team. He was like, he loves Steve Waugh. Mark War, what a great bloody team we have. And I was sitting there thinking, cricket, I can, I can go for this. I can talk about this. And then in the middle of his cricket rant, he turned to me and for no reason I could particularly discern, he was like, oh, I don't suppose you like cricket. I don't suppose you like cricket. What do I look like? Most people? <laughs> I was like, you're right, Kumbare. I don't like cricket. I like soccer, spanakopita, and anachronistic stereotypes. Anachronistic, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I didn't steal the word from you. It's Greek. Huh? <laughs> Let me fix that sentence for you. Honey, do you like cricket? Hmm. It's pretty easy, but no, it wasn't. It was, I don't suppose... You like cricket. Now, first of all, he did suppose, didn't he? That's what supposing is. It's yeah. to assume something's true without proof, right? So, like, really what he should have said was, uh, I suppose you don't like cricket. Hmm, that's what he really meant. I, I thought maybe I should have pointed that out, but I didn't think that running linguistic rings around him was the solution to that particular sticky <laughs> wicket. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying this to say he's a bad person. He is not a bad person, right? But I was like, what, why did he feel the need to make that comment? Like, why did he feel the need to take time out from that story? Like, okay. And I thought, you know, I mean, it, it must be my name because, like, you know, I sound like him. I don't look that different to him. I'm studying at Melbourne University with his niece. Like, none of these things make it possible, you know, that, that I couldn't possibly love cricket. Like, it wasn't like I was doing the Borat thing where I was like, I shat in a plastic <laughs> bag and I held it up going, where to put? <laughs> and the irony of the whole thing is, I'm a fucking cricket missionary. Yeah. <laughs> I once explained test cricket to an American backpacker at a hostel in Amsterdam. Mm. <laughs> just, I had the salt shakers out and the pepper shakers and I had like cutlery for fielders and I was doing the whole thing. It was, it was actually the time I realized insane test cricket is as a sport. Right? <laughs> I basically, I was, I was like, uh, so there's two batsmen. He goes, two batsmen? And I was like, you're right. That is very weird. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think when I really lost him was when I said, then they stop for tea. (laughs) (laughs) So I spent an hour explaining test cricket to this American guy. And at the end, he looked at me and he was like, that sounds really stupid. You mean you play for all that time and there may not even be a winner? And I was like, yeah, it's like the Iraq war. (laughs) In 2003, it was super topical. Why I was one of Australia's best up comedians. <laughs> and I, I said that to him and I thought, that's quite funny. I'm going to write that down, right? So I wrote it in my notebook and it stayed there for years until I got on Twitter and I was looking for things to tweet and I thought, I'm going to tweet that thing about, that, I, that I said to that American guy. Right? So I got on Twitter and I wrote, uh, I was talking to this American and he said, test cricket sounds really stupid. You mean you play for five days and there may not even be a winner? And I wrote, and I said, yeah, it's like the Iraq war. And then I clicked tweet and I braced <laughs> for glory. <laughs> One retweet. Yeah. One. One. Huh? But don't feel bad for me because it's not always about quantity, is it? Sometimes it's about quality because uh, you will never guess who retweeted that. Right? I'm going to tell you who retweeted that. Yeah, Not just anyone, only the fucking Iraqi government. <laughs> <laughs> the Iraqi government. I don't even know how they found it. They must have been vanity searching for themselves. And they just found that and they were like, fucking yes, retweet. <laughs> That's gold. Yeah, and then except the thing is, right, and this is true, they didn't retweet me. They quoted the tweet. And for those of you who are not au fait with the intricacies of Twitter, there is a a very small but significant difference between retweeting something and quoting something. If you retweet it, you just whack it out. Clear the same. But when you quote it, it says, at Yanni underscore A said, and then it puts in quotes the tweet, right? But this was back in the in the wild old days of Twitter where they were very, very strict on the character limit. So the characters in at Yanni underscore A said got lopped off the end of the tweet. No! So what they actually retweeted was, I was talking to this American guy and he was like, test cricket sounds really stupid. You mean you play for all that time and there might not even be a winner? I said, yeah. which is not a joke it's just a very concise description of test cricket Yanni just love thanks that was awesome thank you so much Dan I'm doing an online performance of my whole show uh, this coming week on Thursday the 14th of May on Zoom, if anyone wants, uh, uh, you know, they can come to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Y Comedy, and I've got all the details on there. The letter Y, not uh, like, why is this guy doing comedy? <laughs> and Yanni is uh, also producing serious comedy events, live streams of comedy uh, from his lounge room, mm. and they are really good, so check out Serious Comedy's uh, live streams. And a kid, have you got anything to plug? Uh, no, everything I was going to do has been cancelled. Yay! <laughs> Sorry about that. Anna, ba- Anna Bateman, <laughs> would you like to plug anything? Uh, the Parliament on May 1st. <laughs> Parliament, Parliament, yeah, mate, Parliament doesn't open again until August 1st. What are you talking about? You can't plug anything. It's too, much, too many months away. Uh, Lewis, you got anything to plug? No, nothing for me, Dan. 
Great. I've got something to plug. It's very exciting. Got a brand new show coming out on the ABC next week, April 13th, 9pm. It's hosted by Ray Martin. It's called At Home Alone Together. It's a lifestyle show for the pandemic. Uh, Do watch it. Or not. Amazing. It's, uh, I, I was it's very... into a podcast about um, Kerr sacking Whitlam and Ray Martin was featured prominently on it. Like, as like, um, yeah, yeah, as like someone who was in America interviewing. Oh, you but... might have been no, listening was... to, uh, mm. you might have been listening to the Irrational Fear podcast from uh, three months ago. Really? He okay. told that story. No, yeah. I was yeah. listening to yeah. the 11th. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. that, oh yep. he was also on that yep. one too. Oh. But we broke that story. We re-broke that story. That's why they made the 11th. Oh, really? Amazing. Oh, it's great. Well, you guys, <laughs> I'm like someone who's like watched like a remake of a movie and goes, the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> having having Ray Martin on Irrational Fear was one of the greatest highlights of my career. Yeah, it was good. Just hearing his voice, it's like caramel. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on Irrational Fear. Uh, and big thanks to Anthony Morgan, who we tried to get on this show, but his internet wasn't up to scratch. <laughs> And thank you to Rupert Dagas for his wonderful uh, mateship voiceover. And thanks to Jacob Round, who is on the Pots and Pans. And until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Good night. Listener.